very nicely done. Appreciate that very much. Revelation chapter. We just get a halfway decent politician, but the millennium, the king of kings, Christ himself, uh, will be uh, ruling and, and reigning and uh, will be there uh, serving uh, with him as believers. Uh, but that is just a, a free advertisement for uh, the, the Sunday evening of uh, New Year's Day. Um, but I want to go back and do a quick review of the seven trumpet judgments. I'll just put them quickly up. judgments are more than likely in the second half of the tribulation. So we have already talked about uh, the, the first half of the tribulation, the revelation of the Antichrist, the treaty with Israel, and the seven seal judgments, the 144,000 evangelists, and it is quite possibly in various sources and uh, from um, my teaching that I've, I've heard through the years and I'm thankful, I am so thankful, growing up, I got to hear some very godly men, uh, great evangelists. I got to hear some great preaching going up, growing up. I am thankful for the, the six years I spent uh, at Bob Jones University. And I, I, I was blessed to hear some excellent preaching and to receive uh, just really good scriptural uh, teaching regarding prophecy and regarding end time events. And I'm thankful for men like Bob Shelton, uh, an evangelist who, as far as I know, is still living. I don't know how active he is now, but him coming and doing prophetic conferences, prophecy conferences at our church, uh, hearing him speak at Bob Jones, uh, his book, God's Prophetic Blueprint, I highly recommend it. He's a strong, fundamental evangelist, um, and he has been uh, a real help to me through the years and with his book in understanding the end times and in understanding prophecy. 
And, and it's so easy, again, to get spun off on all of these, I don't know what would be the, the word for them, rabbit trails, tangents, um, these internet gurus who they have YouTube channels, and a lot of it is just mere speculation. A lot of it is just man uh, reading too much into the scripture or not interpreting symbols correctly. And, and I, just, I just want us to be uh, very scriptural. I don't have all the answers. Uh, I don't claim to be an, an expert on this topic, but I'm thankful for uh, good training and, and teaching, and I'm thankful for uh, some personal study that I've been able to do uh, through the years and for this series. And this is a, a heavy topic, I know. And these trumpet judgments in the second half of the tribulation, as that peace treaty is broken, as the great tribulation begins, as the persecution uh, begins uh, in uh, extreme forms toward the Israelites, it is going to be cataclysmic judgments that God is pouring out. One-third of the trees and grass um, are destroyed, uh, are burned. In trumpet two, one-third of the waters are contaminated. And, and as a result of that, a third of marine life dies. One-third of ships are destroyed. Can you imagine the stench of a third of the marine life? I remember going to uh, a creek in Brownsburg, Indiana, as a junior high kid, Arbuckle Park. And I remember we were a bunch of junior high boys wanting to go catch crawdads. If we could find a little fishing hole, we'd go you know, throw our, our fishing line in. We were going to have a great time. We got to Arbuckle Park. We start down. There's a, there's a, a hill. Uh, going down, and we got down to that creek, and it just stunk. We're like, something is wrong. And we got closer, and we, 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 looked, we looked down in the water, and there were fish that were belly up, floating in the top of the water. And we, we started looking around, and someone had poured, I don't know if it was oil or some poisonous chemical of some kind, they had dumped it must have dumped gallons of it into the water and we from that trail coming down from the the upper level going down to that that creek we could smell the stench of those dead fish can you imagine a third of the marine life most of us have been down to the ocean and have been where there's been some sort of washed up dead carcass of some fish or whatever it might have been even some of the jellyfish and crabs and those kinds of things that die along the shore and it's just there's a repugnant stench that's going to be i believe some of the results of this with a third of the marine life dying and a third of the ships are destroyed this is going to probably even be some sort of naval warfare maybe nuclear uh, arms uh, that are shot uh, over the waters i'm not exactly sure all the details and then we see a third of the inland waters turn bitter but imagine what this is going to do to drinking water. Remember what happened up in Flint, Michigan with uh, lead contamination? And then down in Mississippi, there was a small town down there that their uh, water treatment plant got overflowed with floodwaters, and the people didn't have safe drinking water. I remember being in Kenya and having to boil water, having to run water through water filtration, uh, taking showers. We had to make sure our our, our mouths were closed, and 
We had to make sure our ears were cleaned out and our nostrils were cleaned out after we took a shower with the water that wasn't uh, filtered, uh, very little uh, filtered water uh, where I was at in, in Africa. Can you imagine the third of inland waters turning bitter? I mean, we don't brag about, I mean, I like Indiana, I love Indiana, and we, we have the banks of the Wabash as our state song, right? <laughs> Some of us are like, eh, the Wabash isn't the greatest river to be proud of. It's not like the mighty Mississippi or the, the mighty Ohio. But can you imagine if the Wabash River was turned bitter or even Wildcat Creek? Uh, I'm thinking of Eagle Creek Reservoir where I grew up just around the corner from just down the road from Eagle Creek Reservoir and we would have sometimes the, the water treatment I uh, forget the, the company uh, down there in Indianapolis, they would send out a notice and they would say, be prepared, there's a high algae uh, content in the Eagle Creek Reservoir, so if your water <laughs> smells or tastes a little differently, it's because we're doing this, this, and this to treat the water. And can you imagine what it will do to drinking water around the world if a third of the inland waters turn bitter? That's lakes, that's rivers, that's creeks, that's places where... Uh, man will be getting his safe drinking water. Daylight and night lights reduced by a third. I can only imagine what that would do to the weather and uh, just to uh, even maybe the growth of plants, uh, etc. We talked about the stinging lo locusts that were even able uh, there in uh, Revelation 9 that were even able to sting and would cause torment for five months. And then a third of the earth's population dying. And again, if we're down to 6 billion people based on uh, the earlier numbers that we were using, if we're down to roughly 6 billion people and a third of the earth's population dies, that's roughly another 2 billion people. Again, I don't have exact numbers. I don't know exactly what the earth's population is going to be at the time of the tribulation. But we were using a number such as 8 billion, which is what I heard uh, the, that we are, are currently at. We just reached 8 billion and a fourth being uh, two billion, and then another two billion uh, with a third. I mean, that's four billion people in the space of seven years. And that's cataclysmic. That, that's a, a huge number of, of people that's, that's hard for us to, to describe, hard for us to imagine. And then in Revelation 11, uh, we already read a, a section of Revelation 10, but in Revelation 11, we finished up uh, here last week, and the seventh angel sounded, Revelation 11 and verse 15, the seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven saying, the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the four and twenty elders, which are symbolic of the church, and the four and twenty elders, which sat before God on their seats, fell upon their faces and worshiped God, saying, we give thee thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which art and wast and art to come, because thou hast taken to thee thy great power and hast reigned and the nations were angry and thy wrath has come in the time of the dead that they should be judged and that thou shouldest give reward unto thy servants the prophets and to the saints and them that fear thy name small and great and shouldest destroy them which destroy the earth and the temple of God was opened in heaven and there was seen in his temple the ark of his testament and there were lightnings and voices and thunderings and an earthquake and great hail. There is an announcement of the coming of the Lord. There is an announcement here that the judgments are for a reason and that there is 
hope in that God is being glorified and God's holiness and God's justice is being meted out. And this is bringing glory to God. As hard and as difficult and as heavy as this is, it puts us on our knees in glory to the Lord, in praise to the Lord. As the four and 20 elders, the 24 elders, again, symbolic of the church, Understanding that, and I believe that is, is, a, is a right understanding of the four and 20 elders, the 24 elders being symbolic of the church. That would mean that's us in Revelation 11 as believers, giving praise to the Lord, understanding that his justice is being meted out, his, his holiness is being vindicated. So we then go to Revelation 11, and we back up. We were just in verses 15 through 19. And let's look one more time. I know I've talked a little bit about uh, this topic already, but let's uh, go through just uh, quickly here some details regarding the two witnesses. Uh, this is a pro, this, these are, are, are gifts of prophecy, men with the gift of prophecy that are, are given a special privilege in the second half of the tribulation to serve the Lord and proclaim the truth of God's word and they're given a, a, a special season, a special time and they are given a special protection from God. Now, who are these two prophets? Some people have speculated that it's Elijah and Enoch because it is appointed unto men once to die and after this the, ju the judgment. But Elijah was taken up in a chariot of fire Enoch walked with God and was not because God translated him. So people have said, this has got to be Elijah and Enoch. I don't know. Could be. I'm not 100% sure. I don't think we can be dogmatic. They're not named here. But let's look at these two prophets, two witnesses. And I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and threescore days clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. So they are described as candlesticks, obviously lights, having the light of the gospel, the light of the truth of the word of God. Fruitful olive trees, uh, olives and uh, the oil from olives um, often has to do with gladness or a special anointing. So they have a special anointing from the Lord. And they are given this particular responsibility to testify, to prophesy for God in this very dark day, this very dark season of the second half of the tribulation. They are given three and a half years, 1,260 days, as we read there in Revelation 11 in verse number three. They're clothed in sackcloth which obviously speaks to uh, their humility, uh, their uh, before God, servants of the Lord, called uh, by him. They're not clothed in royal clothing and clothes of majesty and all the uh, fancy uh, clothing of a ruling class. They, they are servants of the Lord. And the sackcloth is representative of their humility and their service for God. 
and they are given special powers. What are these special powers? These special powers are to stop rain, to turn water to blood, to smite the earth with plagues, and to devour with fire anyone who tries to hurt them. So in Revelation 11, verse number 5, And if any man will hurt them, fire proceedeth out of their mouth, and devoureth their enemies. And if any man will hurt them, he must be in this manner be killed. He must in this manner be killed. These have power to shut heaven, that it rain not in the days of their prophecy, and have power over waters to turn them to blood, and to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will. And when they shall have finished their testimony, the beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them. So they have a special ministry, and this is where we see the gift of prophecy in its miracle-working, sign-working powers having a, a temporary reinstatement, so to speak. I've talked about this before. I don't want to belabor the point. The gift of prophecy is not in function today in the form of receiving new revelation from God or in doing miracle-working power. God is doing miracles. I believe that God still does miracles, but he doesn't use a man or a woman with special powers to lay hands upon people and to do a miracle in that sense. God does miracles in uh, other ways, but not necessarily through a human instrument in the way that he did with Moses and Elijah and Elisha, with Jesus and uh, the apostles. But this is where there appears to be at least a temporary reinstatement of this gift of prophecy and special powers being given to these men. Um, you know, I, I don't have nor claim to have any kind of special powers. The, the, the gift of prophecy uh, that, that I have, the measure of that gift that I have, is in, in proclaiming the already revealed truths of God's word. This is what God has called me to do, to proclaim, to preach, to pastor. And it, it also, part of that gift of prophecy is that I see very, things very right and wrong, black and white. I can be very opinionated. Uh, I, I like to see things, this is the way they're going to be, and this is how it's going to be, and this is the way we're going to do it. And, and, and that's a strength and it's a weakness. And God has had to teach me a lot through the years that my opinion isn't always needed, necessary, uh, or appreciated. And uh, at the same time, though, I'm thankful for the gift because there have been times where I have to just say, this is the way it's going to be. This is the, this is the way we're going to do it. And, and, and there's a measure of discernment uh, that God has given me with that gift that I'm thankful for. But it's, it's, it's under God's grace and it's by his power. It's, it's not anything that's, that's of me. It's not, it's not mine. It's a, it's a gift from the Lord and it's something I have to exercise in humility and uh, by his grace in, in, in submission to him. And these two witnesses are given the level or the measure of prophetic gifts where literally if their life is threatened, fire proceedeth out of their mouth and devoureth their enemies. Now just imagine that for a minute. You mess with these two prophets of God and this is like the sons of thunder, James and John, saying, call down fire, only they can do it from their mouth and devours those who try to harm them. 
I, can't, I cannot even uh, imagine uh, what that would be like to see that for the first time. But apparently they're going to be threatened because they're preaching the gospel. They're, they're proclaiming the truth of the word of God. They're warning of coming judgments. They're telling men to repent. They're um, condemning the wickedness that's in the world by the Antichrist and all of the things that they would be doing as prophets of God that would be clearly contrary and resistant to the evil that the Antichrist and the false prophet and all of their followers are promoting and the persecution against the Jews. The two witnesses are standing up against all that. They would need special powers to defend themselves because right now, just the fact that we believe that men and boys are boys and girls are girls and marriage is between one man and one woman for life, there are people who hate us for that, who call us violence because we believe a preborn life should be respected and sanctified to be born because that child is a human being made in the image of God and doesn't need to be murdered just because it's inconvenient or whatever the excuse is for murdering that child. Just to say those things in our culture now, we are being called haters. That kind of speech is being called hate speech. And it's even being said to be violent just by saying that a boy is a boy and a girl is a girl and marriage between one man and one woman and preborn life is to be protected. Those words in our culture now, in some places, are being considered violent and incitive and inflammatory. That's how bad it has gotten in America. Can you imagine what it's going to be like for the two witnesses proclaiming the truth of God's word? They're going to need fire coming out of their mouth to devour their enemies, and they're going to have the approval from God to do this. We read there also that they can stop rain. They can turn water to blood. They can smite the earth with plagues. All of these things are going to be necessary. They're going to be standing up for the truth of God's word, standing up for the people of Israel. There are specific responsibilities that they have been given, that they have been called of God to do, and they are going to need these signs and these wonders, not only to validate their ministry, but to show, again, the error of man's way to show the contrast, to, to bring man to repentance. Now, those who have taken the mark of the beast, they've already sold their soul to the devil. If they've taken the mark of the beast, they, they, they cannot get saved. They have believed the strong delusion of 2 Thessalonians 2. But there are people who will need the gospel. There will be Jews who have now realized that the Messiah is Jesus Christ. And they will be turning to him as a nation. And these two witnesses will no doubt have great uh, privilege and responsibility in uh, helping the Jews and, and pointing the Jews to Christ and just many different uh, other ministries that we, we could only imagine that they would have. So they are given these special powers. And then as they come to the end of the tribulation, as their work is finished, they are murdered in the streets of Jerusalem. And they lie there in the streets of Jerusalem for three and a half days while the world watches and mocks them. And that brings us down to verse 7. And when they shall have finished their testimony, the beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit 
shall make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them. And their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. And they of the people and kindreds and tongues and nations shall see their dead bodies three days and a half and shall not suffer their dead bodies to be put in graves. So we'll stop there for a minute and just try to, to, to picture this. I don't know. I, I have a little bit. I guess I was a little bit of an imaginary kid growing up. I had a little bit of, a, of an imagination. It, it got me in trouble a few times because I had a problem with, with lying and I could embellish stories because I had this great imagination. And I told some stories a few times that resulted in some spankings <laughs> that, that I deserved or some other consequences. Um, but again, I, I can't help but in, in my imagination, thinking about what the, the news media would be like with all the cameras in the 24-hour, 7, 24-7 news cycle, and these dead bodies are in the streets, and the world is mocking them, and they're lying there, and they haven't been buried, and people are celebrating, and there's interviews going on. And I can just imagine the liberal news networks going on and on about this. And then we get to verse 10. And they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them and make merry, shall send gifts one to another. They're so happy that these people, these two witnesses are dead because these two prophets tormented them that dwelt on the earth. Again, that just shows their hatred. God's word refers to their dislike their hatred for these two witnesses as causing them torment because they preached the word of God, because they called men to repentance, because they did signs and wonders in God's name, and because they defended the truth, they were referred to as tormentors. Again, that just goes to show the, the evil and the depravity of man's heart. Verse 11, and after three days and a half, the spirit of life from God entered into them. And they stood upon their feet, and great fear fell upon all them which saw them. And they heard a great voice from heaven saying unto them, Come up hither. And they ascended up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies beheld them. And the same hour was there a great earthquake, and the tenth part of the city fell. And in the earthquake were slain of men seven thousand, and the remnant were affrighted and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe is past, and behold, the third woe cometh quickly. So God raises them back to life. And again, just trying to imagine the news media and all the cameras, and all of a sudden, God breathes life into these two witnesses, and they come alive, and God calls them up into glory, come up hither, verse 12, and they ascended up into heaven in a cloud, and their enemies beheld them. They're standing there probably gawking, as the cameras are probably rolling, as the streaming video is going out, Breaking news on the ticker at the bottom of the screen, and people are tuning in. What is it, C-SPAN or one of those uh, where you can watch 24-7, um, usually boring court proceedings, but sometimes there's a, a, a trial that, or some sort of government proceedings that might be somewhat interesting to watch on one of those C-SPAN channels. But uh, anyway, there's this video going, this live uh, streaming news, breaking news, and 
these men are taken up into glory. And there is an announcement of a third woe that cometh quickly. So God raises them from the dead, and there's an earthquake, and a tenth of the city falls, and 7,000 people die. So that's the two witnesses. Now, we're going to jump over to Revelation 16, and I'm just going to quickly go through these seven vile judgments. The wrath of God is pouring out these bold judgments. If you've ever had a big bowl of soup or water or something like that, and it's filled to the brim and then it, it pours out or you drop it and it spills all over. These are judgments of God that just come in rapid succession. The bowl is tipped over and the judgment of God is pouring out. Grievous sores, oceans turn to blood, inland waters turn to blood, people are scorched with great fire. We don't have time to read through Revelation 16 tonight. For sake of time, we won't be able to go through each verse. Darkness and pain, the river Euphrates dries up, three unclean spirits come out to deceive, a great earthquake, Babylon is divided. And a violent hailstorm rains down. This is going on. And in some point in here is the two witnesses. Because remember their ministry is fulfilled at the end of the tribulation period. They're 1,260 days. They're three and a half years. These bold judgments are going on in the latter days of the great tribulation. The second half of the tribulation. There is cataclysmic judgment here one after another and it is leading to and I know I'm going uh, pretty quickly here it is leading to an ultimate battle okay and we have to go to Revelation chapter 19 the battle of Armageddon Revelation 19 the first 10 verses talk about the marriage supper of the lamb which is going on up in heaven that we are a part of great celebration with our Lord and Savior, having been raptured, having had the judgment seat of Christ, having received our rewards for our stewardship, and now celebrating with Christ at the marriage supper. We come down to verse 11, and I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire. This is speaking of the judgment of God. And on his head were many crowns, speaking of his authority. And he had a name written, and no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture deep dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. This is Christ. This speaks to his uh, crucifixion, his authority, to his purity, to his judgment. His authority, and, and there again, uh, the Word of God. The Word became flesh, John chapter 1. Uh, referenced uh, in verse 13. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings 
and Lord of Lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God, that ye may eat the flesh of the kings, and the flesh of the captains, and the flesh of the mighty men, and the flesh of horses, and of them that sit on them, and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was taken and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast and them that worshiped his image. These both were cast alive into a lake of fire burning with brimstone and the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse which sword proceeded out of his mouth and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. The armies of the Antichrist and the false prophet gather at the valley of Megiddo. Heaven opens. Christ appears on a white horse. On a white horse. He is followed by his armies, which I believe that includes us. We're clothed in the white garments, and we are following our king as he comes to the valley of Megiddo. And I can only imagine the different arms and equipment and military equipment of the world is gathered. And there could be missiles and rockets and nuclear warheads. I don't know what all, but there's all these armaments that are gathered at the Valley of Megiddo. And Christ returns and the sword from his mouth, the word of God, is declared and the battle is over. It's that quick. It's not that we're going to have to get out our swords and get down on the ground in the Valley of Megiddo and do some Lord of the Rings sword fight in the middle of some magical forest. Okay. It's not that we have to put on our army uniforms and go into some sort of earthly warfare to conquer for Christ. He speaks the word, the sword in a sense comes out of his mouth and devours the armies of the antichrist and the false prophet as we just read and just like that the battle's over and the valley of megiddo is filled with all of these tanks and warheads and they are left there burning and the blood rises even up to the the horse's bridle as we'll uh, hopefully have time to make reference to in, in a future time. But this brings us to the end of the tribulation where the Antichrist and the false prophet are cast into the lake of fire as we just read. So very quickly, as we close tonight, we're going to see, as we've talked about already, believers during the tribulation Judgment seat of Christ, marriage supper of the Lamb. But then what else is going on? What about Israel? They had been deceived by the Antichrist. They reinstituted sacrifices in the temple. The treaty uh, is broken. The temple is desecrated. And Israel is severely persecuted. But a large majority of them repent at the return of Christ and I should make even reference to before that um, when they real, realized the Antichrist has violated the treaty, has broken the treaty, and I, I should have stated that better 
Uh, I believe that they are turning to Christ as the Messiah throughout that three and a half year period after the, the uh, break of the treaty. But that's a lot going on here in the tribulation period. That's a lot of, a lot of information there. But I wanted us to see in Daniel's 70th week that there is the fulfillment of these prophecies and the, the wrath of God is being poured out in a way that, again, serves the holiness and the justice of God. For, for mankind, for men who reject Jesus Christ as their Savior, their sin has to be paid for. The, their sin has been paid in that Jesus made atonement for our sin at the cross. He paid the penalty. But if man rejects Jesus Christ, then they have rejected that free offer of salvation. They have rejected that payment. So man has to pay for his sin. And that means hell. That means eternal death. That means the second death. Sin has to be dealt with. This is a, a truth that is throughout scripture. I only got through Proverbs 12 in my study. I plan on finishing the book of Proverbs. But it has been a repeated theme as I've been reading through the book of Proverbs in my personal devotions. And God has just continued to draw me back to these verses that speak of the wicked and the ungodly. And I only got through chapter 12. And look at all these verses that speak of the wicked shall be cut off from the earth. The desolation of the wicked. The Lord shall be thy confidence, speaking of the godly, as opposed to the sudden fear and the desolation of the wicked. Proverbs 10, the wicked are no more. Proverbs 10 again in verse 30. The wicked shall not inhabit the earth. Proverbs 11 and verse 21. Though hand join in hand, the wicked shall not be unpunished. I would take that verse and I would use it with students at school sometimes. They'd get a group of confederates. They'd get a group of, you know, there'd be three or four boys or a few girls. And they would stir up trouble. And they'd end up at the office or I'd end up dealing with them in the hallway or in the classroom. And I would use this verse, and I would remind them, you can join hands. You can group up together. You can get all of your ideas. You can get all your plans. You can have your mutiny. You can have everything organized. You think you've got it all figured out. You're going to rebel against the authority. You're going to take down the teacher. You're going to whatever. You're going to, we dealt with a, a mutiny against one of the coaches one time. It was, it was awful. Lies and this one player didn't think he was getting the right playing time. And he didn't like the strategy of the coach. and Just a bunch of nonsense. And he got a group of guys on the team, and they started this. This is right when social media was starting to come out, and they got on their social media, and they got their group chat, and they were disparaging the coach. And we ended up having to deal with this whole thing and getting parents involved and having a big team meeting. And... Through that, I remember bringing out this principle. You can join hand in hand. You can get your confederates. You can get all your group. The armies of the world and the Antichrist can gather together. But God is going to win. Sin is not going to win. 
Evil is not going to triumph. Good will ultimately triumph over evil. And that gives us hope. It is that book that John ate. It is sweet to the mouth, but it can be bitter to the stomach because we have those mixed emotions. We want the justice of God. We want some of these crooks and these criminals to get dealt with. We want some of these politicians to get their due. But at the same time, we pray for their repentance. We pray for their souls to be saved. I'm glad that SBF got arrested and he's going to stay in trial after that scandal, that fraud. It took seemed like forever for them to finally get that guy. I, I don't know what the trial's going to bring, but at the same time, as glad as I am that that guy's finally going to have some measure of justice served, that's a soul that needs saved. That man needs to come to Christ. If he goes to prison, he may end up, you know, dying in prison, as some of these people do, suspiciously. That's a soul that could go into hell forever. There's no testimony of that man having any knowledge of God or fear of God. But the wicked are going to be punished. Proverbs 12 and verse 7, the wicked are overthrown and are not, but the house of the righteous shall stand. And then I close with Psalm 2. Psalm 2. And then uh, we'll be done tonight. I love Psalm 2. And I remember Dr. David Cummins uh, from Baptist World Mission years ago. I heard him preach. And that man, if you ever heard Dr. Cummins preach, if you ever heard him read scripture. I mean, this was a guy that you could record his voice to do a, a Bible reading, you know, a recording that you put on CD or, or in, in, in a digital audio format. I mean, the guy had a, just an incredible voice. And I remember him preaching from Psalm 2 and reading this psalm, and it still uh, stands out in my mind. But Psalm 2, why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. I declared the decree. The Lord hath said unto me, thou art my son. This day have I begotten thee. Ask of me and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Be wise now, therefore, O ye kings. Be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son. That word kiss means to do homage, to worship, to respect, to reverence the son, lest he be angry. And ye perish from the way, when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all they that put their trust in him. Man refuses God, refuses to repent, shakes his fist against God. The Lord shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. But the warning remains. Be wise, you kings. Be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear. Rejoice with trembling. Worship, do homage, respect, reverence the Son, lest he be angry and you perish from the way. 
when his wrath is kindled but a little. But let's lay hold of the promise. Blessed are all they that put their trust in him. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the promise of the word of God that evil shall not prevail. Lord, you've called us to this place and to this time. We have a, a job to do. We must not do it in fear and in trembling of the world. What, what can man really do to us but send us to heaven? But at the same time, Lord, we know that there is a, a grave